Welcome and thank you for accepting our invitation for this Bible study and reflection on Wednesday, May 18th, 2022. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peace be with you. Let us pray. Almighty and Creator God, we thank you for your word that is both comforting as well as convicting. Help us to ponder your holy word in our hearts and minds, and let us be ever thankful for all of your many gifts. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Two things before we get started. One, I promise you won't need a tissue during this one, like you did last week. And also, I want to give you a quick update on my friend Joe. He's on day four of his 1,300-plus-mile hike on the Appalachian Trail from Daleville, Virginia, to Mount Katahdin in Maine. Joe has created a Facebook page titled, A Trail to Transition. It is a fundraiser for Transitions Homeless Center here in Columbia. Donation checks should be made payable to St. Paul's Lutheran Church, designated for A Trail to Transition, and the mailing address for our church is 1715 Bull Street, Columbia, South Carolina, 29201. Your donations as well as your prayers for safe pass passage for Joe will be greatly appreciated. Well, I did a word search for the word Sabbath in the NIV translation of the Bible. And it resulted in the word being used 169 times in 147 verses. The day of Sabbath rest for the Jewish faith begins at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. Traditionally, in the Christian faith, Sabbath is observed on Sundays. Do you remember the British series of children's puzzle books titled Where's Waldo? You know, we could quite possibly write a book titled Where's Sunday? The Sabbath is a gift from God, more so than a commandment, even though it is one of the Ten Commandments. That the Sabbath is not observed or taken seriously is not a new concept or something that just happened. The prophet Ezekiel used the word Sabbath 15 times when speaking to the Israelites. And it was not in a favorable context either. It was reminding them that they had desecrated the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath is a very deep subject that could take a lot of time. But today, my hope and intention is that this will be a conversation starter. Possibly a discerning conversation with yourself, with others, but more importantly, a conversation with God. Since he, after all, instituted the Sabbath, gave it to us as a gift, and he set the first Sabbath example. The Ten Commandments are in two locations in the Bible. They're in Exodus and Deuteronomy. And I'm going to read this particular commandment from Exodus and Deuteronomy. The first is Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. 
Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to your Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And our next reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. In the book of Exodus, we're told to remember the Sabbath. And in the book of Deuteronomy, we are told to observe the Sabbath. Basically, it boils down to remember this and do this. And now listen to what Jesus has to say about the Sabbath. And this is found in the book of Mark, chapter 2, verses 23 through 27. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some of the heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now I read a book recently titled 24-6, and that's 24-6. It's a play on 24-7. The book is written by Dr. Matthew Sleeth, and that's S-L-E-E-T-H, and published by Tyndale House Publishers. I highly recommend this book. There's a short story at the beginning of the book, and it gives a great example of why what is missing does matter. Matthew's wife, Nancy, was kind enough to give me permission to share this with you. A quote from Abraham Lincoln to start. As we keep or break the Sabbath day, we nobly save or meanly lose the last best hope by which man rises. And here is a story as told by Matthew Sleeth. 
six of us stood around a translucent, illuminated x-ray view screen. We were third-year medical students, and our overall knowledge of the basic sciences would never be better. We had mastered anatomy, pathology, physiology, and pharmacology. We knew everything about medicine, in theory. Now we were ready for our first lesson in radiology. So, we took a deep breath, squared our shoulders, and stared at the front and side views of the chest x-rays seen on the screen. See anything amiss? The radiologist asked. Totally quiet. Well, if you don't see anything wrong, does anyone care to comment on what is right? Still more quiet. Okay, let's start with the basics. Who can tell me the sex of the patient? And so we begin. He began teaching us the fundamentals of reading an x-ray. It was a she, 20 to 40 years of age. The diaphragm was normal. The heart was not enlarged. No infections could be seen in the lungs. We could not see any tumors. After half an hour of tutelage, we were really getting the hang of radiology. Then our professor began with some less obvious questions. Has she ever had chest trauma? Hmm, vacant stares. Does she have a partially collapsed lung? Whoops, forgot to look for that. Lynn, the smallest of us and the one with the most enthusiasm, interrupted the silence. What's the next best thing to an intelligent answer? What is the history? Good question. Cough for a few days, no fever, no chills, no weight loss or gain, no night sweats. Nothing in the patient's history suggested anything other than a garden variety cold. Then we were asked to consider more subtle matters. Is she right or left-handed? What kind of work does she do? Maybe there was a reason this fellow chaired the department. We asked other questions and considered every obscure disease we had ever studied. For fleeting moments, each of us even saw evidence of various maladies. Finally, the x-ray held no secrets. Is there anything else or did we get it all, the radiologist asked. An hour's worth of looking had confirmed what our textbook said was the hardest kind of x-ray to be certain of, a normal one. We had gotten the point a lesson had been learned. Our teacher moved to put the films away. We looked at one another with newfound confidence. We had gone from being mute to be able to describe subtleties. If we had been better at eye hand coordination and duller at memorizing, we might have even given one another high fives. As we turned toward lunch, our mentor spoke one last time. This film was read by the doctor in charge of the emergency department last night, and the radiology students on call last night, and the one this morning, and they all agreed with you. But I called the patient to tell her I thought she had cancer. We forgot about lunch and turned back to the x-rays. 
Again, we stared at the films, but couldn't see any evidence of cancer, even as we tried to talk ourselves into it. We looked and looked, but to no avail. I'll give you a hint, he said. It is not something there, but something missing that bothers me. Even with this clue, we came up blank, and we really tried. We pointed to one thing after another, but each time the radiologist would shake his head no. Someone's stomach rumbled. We were tired and hungry and ready to admit defeat. Our teacher, mercifully, gave away the answer in his final question. Where is the left clavicle? Where was the left clavicle? It was missing. We hadn't seen it because it wasn't there. The patient's collarbone had been eaten away, almost certainly by cancer. The take-home point, what's missing does matter. thought that was a wonderful way to set up his book, and I really encourage you to uh, read that book. 24-6. Now, a young lady named Missy Takano wrote a commentary on Sabbath rest for the Bible Project. It was very well done, and I'd like to share some of her thoughts with you. She starts by saying, so what does this look like practically? Does it mean attending a weekend church service or turning off work emails or volunteering at a soup kitchen? Does it matter what day you observe observe Sabbath? Your Sabbath could certainly include those activities, and it could take place on the same day every week. But the biblical text seems to emphasize the purpose of the Sabbath rather than telling us rules for how to observe it. A regular rhythmic time of rest is right. There is in the opening of Scripture. Before humans turned away from God, before God established his partnership with the nation of Israel, a pattern of resting on the seventh day was established by God. You can see that in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So, on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So what does keeping the Sabbath mean for God's people today? Are Christians supposed to observe the Sabbath? And if so, how? Why would we observe the commandment to remember the Sabbath if we don't have to live by some of the more curious laws in the Bible, such as those about moldy fabric or which insects we could eat? There are two main Hebrew words used for rest in the Bible. The first is Shabbat, which gets partially translated into the English word Sabbath. This word for rest simply means to stop working. Think of an hourly job where you clock out at the end of a shift. The work is done. There's no more work until you clock back in. The other main word for rest used in Hebrew scriptures is nuach. This means to dwell or settle. This is not the same as clocking out from an hourly job. This type of rest is like sitting in front of a fire with a loved one or unpacking a suitcase to stay at grandma's house for the holidays. 
It's essentially about being restfully present. God sets up Shabbat and Nuach right around the same time. In the Bible's account of creation, God works for six days, creating the world, and rests on the seventh day. After six days of bringing order to chaos, now it's time to Shabbat from the work. Only a few verses later, we read that God creates humans and then immediately rests them or settles them with himself in the Garden of Eden. It seems like the ideas of Shabbat and Nuach are meant to work together. God leads by example as he rests from his work, Shabbat, and then dwells together, Nuach, with his people. How will the rest of the story go? As followers of Jesus, we aren't required to follow the laws given to Israel by God exactly. These were given at a specific time to a specific group for a specific purpose. Yet the wisdom of those laws is enduring, and the law of the Sabbath is pure gold. It is not a commandment we are bound to. It's a promise or a gift that we're invited to. Sabbath rest is an invitation to practice for eternity. It's where we regularly, intentionally engage in God's rule and reign in our hearts and on earth. We have to Shabbat in order to Nuach, to stop working and truly rest in God's presence. When we practice this intentional stop, we make room for him to take up residence in our individual lives. When we do this together, we're making space for it in our communities. Even better, we are taking part in this new creation story, setting the stage for God to make his dwelling place, his resting place, right here. In closing, I'd like to say I don't think we have lost the Sabbath, but maybe it's more like we are misusing the Sabbath. Ezekiel's word would have been desecrated. We have an opportunity to re-examine the Sabbath gift given to us by God and see how we can make it a more distinctively Christian day of observance. Let us pray. Dear Lord and most gracious God, we thank you for your gift and invitation for us to rest and be drawn closer to you in a weekly rhythm. Help us to hear the invitation from your Son, Jesus Christ, to come to him when we are weary and burdened, and he will give us rest. We thank you for your gift and this invitation. It is in his name we lift up this prayer. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Go in peace, serve the Lord.